This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no maikiti korero e ranga e tereo irarangi ona tangata o Manawatu. You are listening to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. It is a Wednesday morning. If you weren't uh, aware, then now you are. I certainly wasn't when I woke up this morning. Um, so we turn our attention to the media and find out what is being reported on uh, in the past uh, couple of weeks. And this week we have Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard. Athamari, eh, Matthew. Good morning, Fraser. Um, so. Yes, a few stories to to get through um, this morning. The first one is, uh, it's one of those ones where you go, that's surprising and also it's not surprising. Um, A surge of demand on local charities, in particular uh, places like Just Silch. This has just come out this morning as well. Yeah, this is our front page today and it's just um, huge amounts of people lining up um, outside, um, like Just Silch and other food banks, which... You could, it's kind of typical in that pre-Christmas um, period, mm-hmm. but it just it hasn't um, hasn't Abated. really yeah, it just hasn't diminished in the new year. And uh, well, it's kind of ha- quite hard for the likes of just Zilch to kind of gauge the numbers with operating differently under under the red light. Um, but they've had to kind of ch- almost they've changed how what they've become. They've evolved almost into this distribution centre for smaller food banks, and mm-hmm. um, which are also getting. Um, just really smashed at the moment. I think there's one in Martin that noticed a um, two thirds. You know, it's gone up two thirds the amount of people coming in, and it, it seems to be attributed just to this the rising price of, of food generally. It was, I think, four point five percent inflation on it in the last uh, last twelve months. Mm. I mean, uh, just silch are, are it's always a, a point of interest. I think for Rebecca Culver in particular to point out, they're about uh, minimising food waste. Um, but the fact that the flow on is happening and going to food banks, because you'd want Just Silch to have people queuing out the door because mm-hmm. we're minimising waste, that's great. But if the flow on is down to those food banks as well, then obviously society is broken, Matthew. Yeah, it's just, yeah, a lot of, I mean, even, um, I think even those of us who have the privilege of not 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 being on Struggle Street, I think I've noticed every time I go to the supermarket or just filling up the car now, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's $2.50. For 91, which is what I put in my car because it's an old clanker. But I, I, the mind boggles if you're putting 98 or something. I mean, we're knocking on $3 a litre here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's insane. Um, so obviously there's a, a number of, of, of reasons for this. But, I mean, you listen to the, the government and things are tickety-boo. We've got low unemployment, so everyone's in a job. It just seems that the job is, is not enough. No, I don't think most people would find that their you know salaries aren't um, aren't climbing at the, at the same rate as uh, the cost of living, mm-hmm. and um, I think most people are in probably industries or jobs where um, they've been hit hit by COVID, and employers aren't re- probably in a position to to see a great outlook and um, look look to increase salaries by much. So yeah, but which is it? Is it businesses uh, on the international stage struggling through COVID and thus having to hike prices or uh, and, and perhaps inflating them more than they should do? Or is it just salaries not keeping up? 
I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, put your economic hat on. <laughs> um, oh, there's probably a bit of both. I think there's probably certain industries that are uh, doing pretty well out mm-hmm. of out of um, the pandemic, and um, but uh, yeah, it's, I guess it's hard to gauge where some of those pressure points are in the food supply chain, and um, I'm sure there are things have got more expensive in areas that um, you know. Where I'm completely ignorant to. Mm. The, I mean, Palmerston North, I guess, is is not isolated from this, but it, it is uh, insulated or protected to a certain extent because we have so many of the the big institutions, the the, the tertiary education, the government agencies that are, are based here. These are are, are um, institutions that normally are protected by this, and, and their income is somewhat guaranteed. Yeah, and I think the other factor in it for a lot of a lot of people is um, people who don't own their own home and who twenty years ago probably or even ten years ago would have had the opportunity to to own their own home by now, haven't gotten that position. They're still renting, and the rentals are you know gone crazy. They as well. are so, insane. I mean, you're talking six seven hundred dollars for nice houses, mm-hmm. but I mean, still four or five hundred bucks for something that you go, well, that's a doer upper. Yeah, and I think just the the amount of money that is going on the grocery bill and going to rent and what what's that what that is leaving is um, you know come down to very little for mm. you know for a lot of people. Indeed, um, starting on a rather uh, glum note here this morning on the catch up, uh, let's uh, turn it around a bit. John Ogulishka has done a couple of uh, neat stories uh, this week, I think. Uh, the first one, The Idiot's Guide to Self-Isolation, um, obviously an opinion piece, um, but still a, a sort of, yeah, a, a, a peek behind the curtain from someone who can write very well <laughs> about what to expect from self-isolation, and that's predominantly watching the waistline, it seems. Yeah, and I think you know uh, the way John went about it. It's uh, it could be quite easily to um, to write a piece that's just kind of you know having a whinge about how bored you are or you, you know the, not being able to get outside or or whatever. Um, and that's you know there's been so much discourse in the public just about you know MIQ and the, the trials of self isolation. But you know he's written it with the awareness of the, the privilege he's in, where he can still. For the most part, do his job from home, um, and you know some people can't. Um, and just some of the steps you can take to kind of make make that that time um, both you know I guess productive and um, you know easier mentally as well psychologically. Um, I just mentioned to him yesterday. It made me think of the time I was. I think I had to isolate for ten days when I was about thirty with when they had the chicken pox. Uh-huh. And. Um, yeah, I think he had a much more constructive period of time. I think I just I just played Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's quite timely, though, that he's brought this out because a lot of people are going to be experiencing self-isolation over the next couple of months. Um, obviously, um, international travellers as well, for the most part, will be instructed to self-isolate when they arrive as opposed to MIQing because we're, we're shutting that down now um, as per you know the opposition's request and uh, businesses' request to shut MIQ, but apparently we haven't shut it in the right way. There's always someone. Um, but a lot of people are going to be having the same experience, but without that privilege. Yes, and um, there's going to, you know, you'll get a sense from Jono's piece, I think, how, what role the internet plays mm-hmm. in, a large in, one, in self-isolation, both in terms of, I think he talks about the importance of you know social media in terms of staying in touch with people and family um, while 
there's also that, that temptation of using, um, you know, some of the food delivery apps, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, he, he suggested deleting them to, <laughs> to basically, uh, I think, probably save money and also reduce the chance of contact yes. um, with people at the doorstep. But it does make you think, too, there are going to be people in our community who don't have the internet, and you can just imagine, you know, self-isolation is – it's real isolation if, um, in those situations. So. If it's done properly mm. and the concern is if people don't have the internet, don't have the privilege, they're just not going to do it, are they? Um, no, I mean, it's, yeah, just, it would be, yeah, be, feel like solitary confinement, really. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a concerning one, but he did manage to uh, keep working during his isolation. And one thing he reported on was uh, the cows spotted in the Manawatu River um, out near the state highway. Part. Someone had gone out on a jet ski with their kids and seen cow, yeah, cows. Yeah, this was out from the. Um, they came, went out with their kids on the jet ski from the river mouth um, through to around, I think, Foxton mm-hmm. area, and were pretty appalled and shocked by. Um, just the amount of I guess cattle on the on the riverbanks and what it was referred to as green sludge and mm-hmm. which we all know what know, that actually was yeah cow poo and in the water and just how you know how horrible it was and um, so you have talked talk to him and um, and kind of laid out what what the rules are around um, cattle by um, by the waterways. I mean, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, the the, the farming community, uh, by and large, is is very you know future thinking and and coming up with clever ideas. And yes, the rules are yet to come in about the specifics of keeping cattle out of the water. But it's generally accepted that you don't want cows in the water, and most farmers know that and will keep them out regardless of there's an actual rule about it or not. So there must be a fairly uh, ambivalent. Uh, agriculturalist somewhere, somewhere in the Foxton area. Um, yeah, I mean, going by the photos, it doesn't doesn't look great in terms yeah. of the amount of cattle that just seem to be hanging out. Yeah, it there. wasn't just one or two. This yeah. was a herd. It was, and um, yeah, there are, I guess, there's rules that um, for existing farms that don't come until 2023. And but you you know you'd like to think that the farm the farmers who are looking at that date would still be taking proactive steps when it comes to those real major. Mm. Uh, Issues in terms of like fence lines and waterways, um, but yeah, and for the horizons, it, is, it can be difficult for them, I guess, to locate. Um, I guess and tell one farm, farm from another from photos. So they have, they do encourage the public to um, to let them know, and um, you know, dob in a farmer, I suppose, yeah. if, if 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 that's what they're doing. Um, but they did make the comment about the. Being able to get GPS coordinates is, is really the, the way to the way to do it. Yeah, um, on something you can find on Google Maps. Yes, which it's easy to find if you just open Google Maps. It will show you where you are, and you just jot that down or take take a screenshot uh, and send it to Horizons. And yes, I mean. Do dob in a farmer because um, we're talking, you know, the big talk about three waters at the moment and trying to protect uh, our most basic and, and needed resource. And then another news headline I saw, you know, we've just had the torrential rain and the Manawatu River is swelling. Well, if it's swelling and full of cow green sludge, then um, that ain't great. No, and this is, you know, it's yes, several kilometres away from where everyone loves to swim, but it's it's the same river and... Um, It'll make it there. Mm. Uh, I also noticed in Jono's article about this, that the rules that are coming in apply to sort of cows and, and pigs and that, but not sheep. Sheep are still allowed in the water, it seems. Um, I th- oh, yeah, when I read it, I thought it applied to all... Um 
or livestock. But, I'm, um, I'm looking now to see if I've actually got it open, and I don't think I have. We'll move on. If I can find it, I will. Oh, no, here we go. Hang on. Um, scrolling, scrolling, filling time. Um, the rules. Oh, come on. Oh, I'll find it later when you're talking about something else. Um, let's move on then. This is a, an interesting one, and it's a peek behind the curtain of how media operates in terms of not necessarily deciding on behalf of the community what is worth reporting on, but you know, managing resources and also what is legitimately newsworthy. Um, and the protest in Parliament... Um, I know you've had some people phoning the, the standard and to ensure that you're doing your job as a, 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 a journalist uh, and a team of journalists. But the protest in Parliament is being covered on the, the national stage. Aaron said we're talking about it this morning. It is on Stuff's homepage. Um, the movement of the convoy through Palmerston North, not as newsworthy. Um, we didn't report it on it on Monday, Um Basically, because we, I guess, I guess twofold. Um, it seemed like I guess it was a logistical measure yep. of, of of the protest to you know move from different parts, converge on Palmerston North, and then go through to Parliament, where the, which is where the action was, as far as we saw it. Um, but we also, being it was a public holiday, I think we had a, um, a couple of reporters on, um, and you know a number of local news um, leads to follow up, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, we prioritised. Um, those local news issues rather than um you know a, a body of uh body of automobiles on, on the move and stopping for a while mm-hmm. um so but yeah we did get, i've had i think a couple, uh, couple of calls and a and an email and i think one one chap was keen to cancel his subscription which it's his certainly his right um for not reporting on the uh, the convoy but um yeah, I feel the, the news story there was the, the protest to Parliament and, you know, that was on our homepage on stuff um, I mean, from all of yesterday. It, it, it's, it's interesting as well because I did see some footage of the convoy going through Palmerston North and that would be a tough one to report on in order to give the cause – uh, an air of well, I'm going to say an air of credibility because every car that went past had a different message on it and was protesting about a different thing. Yeah, there's only I guess a, a bit of lack of clarity, and mm-hmm. there was, it was a, kind of the same with groundswell where you'd there'd be one um, you know one Ute going past with a sign that was just uh, against the prime minister. There might be some that was about you know this Ute tax, and then there'd be one having a go about. Um, too much Tadeo in New, yes, in, in yes. New Zealand. So oh, there's sort of, Don Bratty's bus. Um, so we, yeah, it was just a some sort of I don't know whole, wholesale take what you like conservative protest. But um, and, and people might say, oh well, that always happens in protests. It doesn't. I went to the Hikoi in Fielding uh, with regard to Maori wards. There was a big uh, gathering at the start, and they said, look, it's really important that we stay on message. This is the thing that we, we want changed. Please don't you know, bring other arguments in. There's different times for that. Let's focus on the thing. And everyone marched. Everyone was on message. Everyone was on point, and it was delivered loud and clear. So it is possible to do that um, when you have reasonable people demonstrating and protesting about reasonable things. Um, the, as an example, the, the personalization of the protest and going, our down must go, make our down stop, uh, stop Cindy 
mucking around with our children's future. It's got nothing to do with Jacinda. That really irks me, the, the, the personalization of it when that's as far from the point as you could possibly be. Yeah, it's just it's yes, it's just so many. I think mixed emotions and mixed messages. And I mean, I think the TV news last night that was talking to one one person who was you know adamant this was not a like a volatile or violent or aggressive protest, but then he was overrun by someone else just abusing the cameraman. Um. <laughs> oh God! Uh, regardless, a few of them have camped out down uh, in Wellington uh, overnight, and I think a couple of streets are still blocked off by vehicles. Uh, Chris Luxon's come out uh, swinging, saying they they shouldn't be there, get rid of them, um, which is startlingly sort of black and white view of the situation for a politician. Uh, that almost sounded like a compliment. Yeah, well, I think he and the National Party would be pretty – they wouldn't want to necessarily be attached, um, I think, to to that movement mm-hmm. at all. He probably feels like he's making some ground. Um, David Seymour would probably be found wandering um, around somewhere. Yeah, quite possibly. He's a, he's a kind of uh, – he, he blows the same trumpet some days. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think any major party would be pretty wary of uh, – falling into that movement. The other thing is it's not a large protest, is it? I mean, it, it, considering this is people coming from Auckland from, uh, to Invercargill and everywhere in between converging on Wellington, it's not that big. What was that, 1,000, 1,500 people or something like that? Yeah, I think I saw, saw reports up, up to a couple thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, it looks I mean, big because it's one person in a camper van. But. Yeah, and I mean, if you go back and you think of the really, I suppose, iconic uh, marches on Parliament that foreshore and seabed, um, and there's, you know, there's just such a, I guess, much more sense of clarity and that unity of coming together on the lawn with a clear message. And, I mean... Yesterday, it was as much about about bringing your big your big vehicle to um, to Wellington and um, blocking up the streets. Mm. Um, it, they just kind of like, well, no, notice us because we're causing problems. Which I don't know whether that's going to necessarily get well, you. It doesn't the, help your argument. Does it? Yeah, I mean, go, mm. God forbid, and I shouldn't say it, but touch it, wing wood, and all the other um, uh, superstitions. If there's an earthquake or something else happens, this is going to hinder everything, and it's not like that's an unreasonable thing to expect right now. No, and even you, and just an, an individual medical event. Mm. Some one one of the protesters had a heart attack, and you know, could have taken two hours to get an ambulance to him. Mm. Um, oh God, uh, the mind boggles. Anyway, moving on. We are here with Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard, looking at what they've been reporting on. Uh, or not uh, in the past week or so. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, I found the bit that I, um, if you've been listening to this whole uh, interview, dear listener, we were talking about John Oglishka's, um cows spotted in the river and I said the rules didn't apply to sheep. I think I might have read it wrong. Uh, the exclusions applied to all cattle pigs and deer but not sheep so that's exclusions to the rule uh, obviously that would appear that sheep don't get any uh, so that's very sheepest uh, of, of the rules maybe they'll be marching on parliament <laughs> yes uh, they'd probably make more sense I didn't say that um, let's have uh, a look at a positive story this is a, a neat one um, and also a lesson in I guess sort of the integrity of, of writing a, a piece that protects someone's privacy because this is a positive step for a homeless woman after, I think, decades on the streets. She's finally into her 
own home. Um, but it really came across that protecting this person's identity was key because there's no hint about who the person is, where it is, uh, but I'm assuming it's in Manawatu because it's in the Manawatu standard. Um, yes, I think we were uh, calling her, I think, Aria yes. in, in the article, and I think Sinead Gill did a story uh, maybe two weeks ago um, just kind of chronicling her, her life living on the street. She'd kind of come through to Palmerston North and had, I think for most of seven years had had been um, living on, on, on the street and she's got a little dog with her now and just kind of capturing her her experience and it had been kind of pointed out to us because I suppose you don't see too many um, homeless people who are, you know, female. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she's early 30s but does look much younger, so, you know, is quite vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um and it was yeah, it was a kind of a fascinating read in terms of like how she pick, would even pick, like pick out a spot to um, a spot to sleep in that was you know a good one because there might have been security cameras, mm-hmm. um, so at least someone would see what would happen if something was to happen to her. And I think it even had advice from you know the police had, had um, encouraged her to, you know on certain perches to, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. kind of sleep in. And I think after that story ran, I think within a couple of days, work and income, we were able to find her a, a one-bedroom um, home or unit yep. um, in the city. And we've, you know, continued while in terms of her personal safety is probably, you know, is less of a concern now that she is in her own place. And Although I did, I did read, you know, yeah. that, that paranoia carries through because she's like, what if someone mm-hmm. breaks in? Yeah, indeed. Um, and in terms of still, I think, maintaining... Uh, protecting her identity for us, it's, uh, as well as her personal safety, it's that issue of protecting her her pride, mm-hmm. I suppose, as well. Because only no one really wants to be the face of of homelessness no. either. Um, and so, yeah, we haven't really identified where that you know where that property is. Um, but and while she's you know extremely grateful to now have a proper roof over her head, the I guess the anxiety and stress of living on the street and um, not used to living alone as well is still something she's you know carries with her and it is you know it continues to be a bit of a battle so mm. it's, yeah it's an interesting insight and 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 useful for readers to recognize that homelessness is not limited to Auckland and Wellington and Christchurch but in fact is occurring on our, our very doorstep um, and this is not a unique story either no and I think I think the first story that the one that Sinead did um, before Carla picked it up was there was a reference um, there too that the, the, there is still this perception I think among many probably middle and upper class New Zealanders that the homeless people are you know old, old drunk white men sort of yes. sort of thing who are you know have put themselves in that situation because I object to that label <laughs> 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 no but, but no you're right and 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 oh, it's 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 the vulnerable people in our society time and time again I say this what do we do to protect the most vulnerable in our society um, and. Well, almost unanimously, the answer is not enough. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, uh, I mean, it was good that work and income were able to obviously find her home in this instant, and we don't really know what role, you know, our article played, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, so having pretty quickly after that, it'd be interesting, have, you know, had we not done the first story on her, what situation she yeah. might be in, because we certainly can't be doing no. stories on every of, of every person in plight. I mean, um, I think the article... I think it includes just how many the number you know the huge amount of people who are I think seeking emergency housing or are on a, on a waiting list and I think almost like over ninety percent of them are classed as as priority. So mm-hmm. when there's that proportion that that is 
priority. They can't. They can't all be served at once. No. So it's um, and we're and and you know we could get into the big discussion around the, the lack of housing and and there is a lack of housing, but there's also a lack of the right housing, and that's where. Um, Developments like Papayoya Place um, that the city council runs are perfect. The little units for the the the, the isolated and vulnerable individuals—they don't need a four-bedroom detached house with a double garage. Um, but that's all that seems to be built at the moment. Yeah, and I think yeah, and the proportion of of people on the, on the waiting list are they're mainly single from twenty-five to thirty-five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not you see all these housing developments for McMansions and. <laughs> You know, for large families, and it's um, yeah, it's just completely out of whack. We just need a, a, a few more Papaioia places, uh, Palmerston North City Council. That would be lovely. Thank you very much. Um, we are pretty much out of time on the catch-up this morning. Is there anything on your agenda moving forward into next week that's caught your attention, Matthew? Um, oh, nothing really, I guess, jumps, jumps to mind. Obviously, the, the COVID situation, case numbers, we had three... Um, well, there wasn't really. There was an update of two two more cases yesterday, mm-hmm. but they they did get first announced um, on the Monday night, so that they sort of carried over. So yeah. there, there hasn't really been much since the, the three new cases on Monday, but certainly keeping a kind of a close eye on that. Not too many locations of interest either in in Palmerston North, certainly, which is uh, good news. Yes. It's just when they say location of interest, mm-hmm. flight number, <laughs> okay. It's flying all over the place now. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, these three cases are all the same, the same family, so it's mm. come from during the isolation period, um, which is encouraging, I suppose. Uh, Palmy's done, and Manawatu has done incredibly well in this pandemic, but I think the uh, the days are numbered. It's 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 going to come, so buckle up, everybody. Uh, Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard, uh, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Thanks for having me. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition. Do join us then. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.